How many of you think that apostolic Pentecostals ought to have more fun than anybody else in the world? We have more fun. We don't have hangovers. We don't have to go to rehab centers. Come on, somebody. You can get high on God today, and everything from this point forward will be a blessing, not a curse. My. I'm so glad to see my good friends, Mike and Lori Felberg. God bless you guys. We love y'all. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Amen. Love this great church and all of the families, those that are here present and others that have been here in the years past. What a great group of apostolics it is to belong. I'm so thankful for the family of God. Amen. Aren't you thankful? I know you are. Jeremiah 31 and 40. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 40. While you're turning there, let me say how much I appreciate our team. Brother Russ, uh, Russ Fobear, uh, who even this morning is running people back to the airport in Orlando. Brother Tyler Ritchie. Uh, Sister Chelsea's uh, St. Cloud, Brother Jeff Donato, all of our team that put together and worked tirelessly on, on hosting this uh, Bible quiz tournament. It was, it was great. And all of you families that came over, your children that are quizzing, amen. I wish you could see all of these four and five-year-old young people. It was just an amazing thing to see all of them having put, put that word of God in their heart. I'm convinced if you put the word of God in a child that anything is possible with that life. Amen. They can change the world. Jeremiah 31, 40, and the whole valley, everybody say the whole valley, the whole valley. of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields under the brook of Kidron, under the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy unto the Lord. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. God can even take land that everybody else has neglected and say, this is holy unto me. Nobody's going to be plucked down. This land's not even going to be thrown down anymore. It's going to be holy. The ashes and the dead bodies. Also looking at Isaiah chapter 61, reading verses 3 and 4. Isaiah 61, 3 and 4. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. Everybody say folks that are in the church. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And they shall build the old wastes, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. There are places that have been desolate for many generations. And God can make something beautiful out of it. You say, well, my dad was an alcoholic, my granddad was an alcoholic, my great-granddad was... You don't have to be an alcoholic. You can be holy unto God. Woo! My. I want to speak to this morning from verse 3, and I want to speak on this subject. The beauty of ashes. Turn to your neighbor and say, the beauty of ashes. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. Ashes in the Word of God was not often looked at in a positive light. In fact, when they would mourn the loss of a loved one, the Bible says that they would robe themselves in sackcloth and ashes. 
And even in Genesis 18, as Abraham is describing his lowly state as a human in the presence of God, he says in verse 27, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Abraham, in describing the dichotomy between a human being standing in the presence of the mighty God, says that I recognize that I am but dust and ashes. Dust and ashes is the description of our frail humanity. You say, well, I'm still young and strong, Pastor. I don't feel like dust and ashes. You just live long enough. <laughs> After a while, it'll catch up with you. And your mind will be writing checks that your body can't catch. But ashes in this context is not only representing something of low estate. It is also a representation of something that was. Something that has been destroyed. Something that may have been of value at some point. But is not now. It has a past, but no future. May have been great at one time, but now it's just a heap of ashes. And it is over. It is final. Well, that's the way that man thinks, but that's not how God thinks. Because, ladies and gentlemen, our God likes to make something out of nothing. I love the verse in the Bible that said, He hung the earth on nothing. I mean, you can't even hang a picture on the wall without having to get all the proper tools and the hooks and the this and the that and the, the anchor bolt and just to hang a picture. God takes the universe and just flings it out there and hangs it on nothing. What a mighty God we serve. So this whole notion that you've done too much, that God can't use you, is a lie from the pit of hell. Because I've got a God that can make ashes beautiful. When everybody else says it's all over, he'll never be nothing, she'll never be nothing, their life is over. It's not over until God says it's over. And I'm so thankful that I've got the hope of heaven that you can believe in God, you can trust in God, and regardless of what may be in your past, there is a God that can take nothing and make something beautiful out of it. Oh, hallelujah. In Exodus chapter 9, as Pharaoh is battling Moses in the release of the Jewish people, God says to Moses and Aaron in verse 8, and I quote, Take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. I just like that little phrase right there. I'm going to do something, and I want Pharaoh to see it. So I want you guys to take your little handfuls of ashes, and I want you to just go and stand before Pharaoh. Pharaoh's in this big, beautiful court, most powerful nation, the Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the then-known world. You got all the guards and all the magicians and all the people. And here's 
Moses and Aaron standing before Pharaoh with their little handfuls of ashes. What are you guys doing? What do you got now? We're just obeying God. Here we stand. I'm going to tell you what, God will make you do some stuff that you'll feel like you're going to make a total fool out of yourself. But if you'll just obey God, God will make something out of nothing. You say, oh, I don't think God could ever use me. You have no idea God's going to use you and make something beautiful out of your testimony. You say, but I don't have a great pedigree. I don't have all this stuff to point to. All God needs is a willing vessel, somebody that will obey God and say, Lord, if you can use anyone, you can use me. What are you guys going to do with that? We're just going to follow what God said. And they just sprinkle it toward heaven. Just throw it up in the air. Ashes. Verse 9 says, And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, and shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven, and it became a boil breaking forth with blains or scars upon man and upon beast. And the magicians, and I'm not sure how all this happened. I don't know if they were called into the courtroom to, to try to you know, put a spell on, on Moses and Aaron and make sure that this thing didn't actually become what they said it was going to become. But whatever it was, the magicians were neutralized. They could not stand before Moses because of the boils. This is something else I like about God. He does an instant work. They're like, come on, magician, come in here and tell these guys, show them who's got the real power. And they're like, we can't walk. They can't even get out there. They can't even stand before Moses because they're covered with boils. For the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. I'm going to tell you something right now. You and I live this life worried too much about the enemy. Well, I don't want to pray out loud because I'm afraid the devil will hear me. That's why you do need to pray out loud. The devil does need to hear you. He needs to hear you say, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He needs to hear you say, there is none that is like unto you. You are the mighty God and the everlasting Father. There is no reason for an apostolic Pentecostal to be afraid of the devil. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Lord will neutralize the enemy. They're not going to be your problem. You say, wow. The power of God is revealed now because he can make something out of nothing. He just took these ashes, turned something into it. So it is revealed at this point that there is this miraculous transformation that takes place when even ashes are in the hands of obedient servants. But the end result is a plague of boils. It's not exactly the end result that we were looking at. Boils are not necessarily beautiful. But we do see early on that God can take ashes and turn it into something. Then we read in the book of Leviticus, 
God introduces something to the children of Israel that's called the law of the burnt offering. Twice in the book of Leviticus. Once in the fourth chapter and once in the sixth chapter. He instructs the priest to take the ashes from off the altar. When a sacrifice has been burnt for a trespass and it is taken now, as the Lord instructs, to a clean place in the camp. He said, I want you to take the ashes from the altar and take it to a clean place. Don't discard it. Don't throw it away. Don't go and bury it. Take it to a clean place. Apparently, although the ashes represent what has been given as a sacrifice, ladies and gentlemen, it still has some future value. Oh, hallelujah. I love the way God works. It still has some future value, though you and I may not be able to represent it or be able to even recognize it. So this is the first hint that we get of the forthcoming resurrection of the sacrificial lamb. Because when they crucify Jesus and they execute him in a public humiliation and put him on a cross and he suffers and eventually the Bible says gives up the ghost, they take his body and they put it in a tomb and they seal the tomb and they put a roaming guard in front of the tomb. But on the third day, when everybody else has walked away because surely there's no more value, it's just a carcass. But I'm thankful that there were some people that still came to the tomb to make a sacrifice. To bring their sacrifice of praise. To bring the oil and the ointments. They recognize it's not over when man says it's over. Because the guard was gone and the tomb was rolled away and there was an angel sitting on the rock. Sitting on top of the stone. Who are you looking for? He is risen. He is not here. something beautiful that's going to come out of that crucifixion. It may have just looked like some sort of a public shaming of an individual that shouldn't have rose up against the temple and against the Pharisees and against the hierarchy. But you know what? It's going to represent something beautiful. It's not just a carcass. It's not just a representation of what we had in the past. It is the power of the future. And then we read in Leviticus chapter 6 and verse 6, as we pick up this narrative. And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord. And he shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. Because of the burning upon the altar all night, Unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment, and his linen breeches shall he put upon his flesh, and take up the ashes which the fire hath consumed with the burnt offering on the altar. And he shall put them beside the altar. He's even got the priest putting on their linen garments when they handle the ashes. Why are we putting on our good clothes to handle the ashes? I know some of you men are not like this, so I'll just talk about myself. 
My wife gets on to me because she's like, if you're going to clean the garage, you can't do it in your dress clothes. You've got to change pants. You've got to change shirts. You're like, da, da, da. I'm like, I know, I know, I know. But I'm going to be really careful. That never works, does it? <laughs> you, you end up spilling bleach. You end up getting something on. You're like, I told you you shouldn't have had on your good clothes. You would think the priest would put on their bad clothes. Not their linen garments to handle ashes? What's up with that? And he shall put off his garments. Okay, now we're changing clothes. And put on other garments and carry forth the ashes without the camp. Now think about this. You've got to have on your linen garments, which represented the power of the priesthood, when you take the ashes from the altar. That's a little something you need to put in your brain because we'll pull that back out in just a moment. What makes the ashes beautiful is the fact that they came from the altar. And then he says, carry forth the ashes without the camp into a clean place. When the Lord has given instructions on how to move the tabernacle in the wilderness, he says this in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 12. He said, I want you to take all of the instruments of ministry. You know, they had this tabernacle. They had to set it up and they had to put everything in place in the wilderness. And then they had to move when the Lord said to move. And then they had to gather everything up in there in a proper way. Everything had to be packed a certain way and carried a certain way. He said, I want you to take all the instruments of ministry wherewith they minister in the sanctuary and put them in a cloth of blue, blue garment. That was a, a garment of, of, of cost. Cloth of blue because the way they had to dye and all that. And cover them with a covering of badger skins and shall put them on a bar and they shall take away the ashes from the altar. Oh, okay, these were probably just buried somewhere. No, and spread a purple cloth thereon. Purple was the color of royalty. Even in the book of Acts, when they said they, they witnessed to Lydia, and she was saved. The Bible said she was a seller of purple. She was a well-to-do lady renowned. She was able to make the proper dyed garments. This is what the Roman Empire even used for their governors and so forth. They would wear purple. And the Lord says, I want you to spread out the purple cloth. For the ashes. Gets even better. Verse 14. And they shall say, or they, they shall put upon it all the vessels thereon. Wherewith they minister about it, the censers, the flesh hooks, the shovels, the basins, all the vessels of the altar. And they shall spread it upon it, a covering of badger skins, and put to the staves of it. That's the long poles to carry. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forward after that, the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. Now watch this. But they shall not touch any holy thing. Ladies and gentlemen, with all of these instruments of ministry is ashes. Wrapped in a purple garment that God says is holy. So holy that man should not touch it lest they die. Think about that. These ashes are considered holy. Say, well, what does that have to do with me today? Ladies and gentlemen, we all have ashes in our life. In fact, Job says it this way, our remembrances are like as 
ashes. We have those remnants and memories of wrong choices and mistakes. We try to get them out of our mind and off of our hands, but yet they linger still. Those things that caused us pain, those things that we remember at night and we don't often say anything about it, but it's inescapable. We see it as a curse. An irrevocable reminder of some less than favorable moment. But what we never saw was that those ashes could be considered holy unto God. You thought you would have to just deal with it all your life. You thought you'd have to just find a place in the mind of a human being to bury it. But you can. It keeps coming back. I've come to preach to somebody today that God's going to make something beautiful out of those ashes. He doesn't need to wipe the slate clean. He can take the pain of your past and give you victory to tomorrow. He will take those things that have scarred you and he will make something beautiful out of it. So that it becomes holy. So I never saw those things that I went through as being something beautiful. And without God, it's not. But with God, it represents the transforming power of God. A power that is so great that he can make the ashes beautiful. That he can turn mistakes into miracles. That he can turn problems into promises, mourning into joy, trade a garment of heaviness for a garment of praise. So I say to you today, bring everything to the altar. All of your past, all of your experiences, good, bad, and ugly. Bring them all and put them on the altar. Because God's going to make something beautiful out of it. God's going to give you a testimony. And you're going to be able to rise up and say, once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. There's beauty coming out of these ashes. There's something beautiful coming up out of these ashes. We read Jeremiah 31, 40 in our text, and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields under the brook of Kidron unto the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be holy. The whole area. I'm going to tell you something. God can save one person, and it doesn't stay confined to just that individual. He'd make the whole area, the whole family, the whole neighborhood. It shall not be plucked up nor thrown down anymore forever. The entire area of wasteland is going to be holy ground. I was telling the folks in the earlier service today, I remember a few years ago when we went down to Porta Plata, Dominican Republic, and we were building a church in a really terrible neighborhood. I mean, it was all kinds of drug lords and pimps, foster. It was everything you can imagine. 
In fact, they even told us when you're working on the church, don't leave the immediate surrounding. Don't even go over to the next block. It's too dangerous. When we were actually dedicating the church service, the bus was parked right next to the church. They broke into the bus, destroyed, cracked all the windows during the dedication service. That's how rough of an area it was. We went in there and built a church in the roughest possible area of an area that was already pretty rough. Brother George Long, you remember, don't you? Boy, him and I got down in a neighborhood that just went down into a really tiny, narrow, dead-end area. And I said, I got to get out of here. This place looks too dangerous. He was trying to follow me, and I was in a little truck with a stick shift. And we had a bunch of people in our truck. We were trying to find a restaurant. We got in an area we weren't supposed to be. And boy, I took off trying to get down out of that neighborhood, and guys with sweatpants and guns started jumping on the back of the truck. And they started yelling. People in the truck were saying, but Brother George Long is still back there. I said, too bad for him. He's going to have to find his own way out. <laughs> getting out of this place. <laughs> Those guys with guns in their belts, they started knocking on the back. glass. I figured I'd just drive crazy and knock them off. They were knocking on the back of the glass and all that. And guys in the back seat were looking around. They're like, they're hollering at us. I'm like, what are they saying? They're saying your friend is still back there. I said, I know that. He'll come eventually. I said, we got to keep moving. Finally, we got to an area where we thought they, whew, one of them guys jumped off that truck. They were hanging on for dear life. Had pistols stuck in the waistband of their sweatpants. And I thought, this is it. It's all over. They said, are y'all with the Pentecostal church? And we said, yeah. They said, man, those people are some of the best people. We were trying to protect you. <laughs> they were like, you know missionary Shirley, Steve Shirley? We're like, yeah, we're building a church with him over another part of town. They said, man, he's done so much. We couldn't, have, we, whatever you need. I said, can y'all go back and get my buddy? couple of months after we were there building that church and three or four months later and finally six months and then nine months brother Steve Shirley was staying in contact with us he said you won't believe what's happened in that church I said what happened he said every week they're winning people to the Lord they're winning people to the Lord they're winning people to the Lord he said it's cleared out the whole area all the drug lords have left all the houses of irrepute everybody's cleaned out the whole neighborhood is in the church God can make something beautiful out of a wasteland he can say, I'm going to build a church right here on this spot to show that I'm God. Woo! Hallelujah! The city council contacted the missionary, Brother Shirley, and they said, the only way we used to know how to control that area is we just limited their power. We cut all the lights off, power off. But they said, now they've all moved down there. We're redoing our power schedule and we have decided we're going to designate more light to that area. <laughs> so you bring spiritual light and the natural light will follow. That's another whole sermon. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to just believe God's word. And in the natural world, it looks impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Last year, we were over in Zambia dedicating a church. We had... A few
few years ago said we wanted to build a church in Zambia and sister based and got on board and she said I'd like to like to help contribute to that and be something we could do in memory of Herman Bazden and his brother Bill Bazden and so we contacted the missionary we said we want to help build a church up in Ndola we'd never been to Ndola it's an area up in the northern part of Zambia up in the copper region where they they mine a lot of copper so he said okay so we started funding and he would show me pictures of this and that and it was going along pretty good and we were supposed to go the year before last and they had an election there was all kind of riots and they said it's just too dangerous we we wouldn't feel like it'd be safe for you and your family and the others to come down in here so we're going to postpone it so finally last year in august when we were in africa they had us come up there and and uh dedicate this church and as they were dedicating this church they probably got some pictures up there that they can show you this is us standing around on the outside of the church we're getting ready to dedicate it that's the pastor on the far right the missionary standing next to me this is the church now that stands there in Nandola. and doesn't that look beautiful this is a plaque that says thank you to first pentecostal church in, in honor of herman Bazden. This is the inside of the church as we're uh, getting ready to dedicate it unto the Lord and, and all of the people. And it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful facility that uh, they can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ into that area. And while they were preparing for that dedication service, the pastor had prepared some comments. And when he began to tell about what they had gone through to get to this point, I said to Pastor David, I said, is there any way I can get a copy of it? He gave me this copy, and I've, I've hung on to it. Here's what he says. I won't read all of it. In 2009, we applied for a church plot from Nandola City Council. And after several visits to the council, we were told there was no land left in Labudo. That's the particular neighborhood they're in. For church plots and other similar developments, except a dumping site, which was within the heart of Labudo compound, and we gladly accepted to be allocated on the dumping site. You want to build a church? You can go to the dump and do it. Knock yourself out. Sadly, the place in question was earlier on allocated to a certain developer who until then had abandoned the place for over 18 years. And the locals had turned it into a dumping site. Ladies and gentlemen, this magnificent building we are dedicating to the glory of God today stands at a once filthy dumping place. But we were determined to clear up the garbage despite the huge cost involved. And within two weeks, we were done. And we immediately requested the local authority to allow us to construct a temporary building of timber offcuts and, and shifts there as we awaited the formalization of our stay with their express permission to put up a temporary structure. And we shifted our small congregation there. But a week after shifting the place, people started coming and claiming ownership of the plot. Nobody cares about it for 18 years. They're dumping trash on it. But you go to build a church on it, and everybody claims they own it now. Isn't that the way the enemy works? But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. They threaten legal redress against us if we remain despondent to their calls or demands, but we fought all the battles and won them. However, a seventh person who came was now the legal owner of the place who abandoned it for over 18 years. She had full title deeds of the plot. And she claimed that she went to the U.S. to raise money to build a school. She initially intended to put it up and said that she was now ready to start her project. And the church should excuse her for being gone for 18 years and she was coming to take her land. 
The church was then dragged to court for illegally settling on her property, and she made unsubstantiated claims to the effect. The legal battle was really painfully humiliating and expensive. We received in the process a court injunction to restrain us from further developing the place and having our church meetings there. But the court quickly intervened and allowed us to keep on having church services there. I remember one day coming out of the courtroom, beaten up left and right. I didn't understand all these legal battles. I felt like I was in a jungle. I didn't understand. I had almost given up the fight. But thanks be to missionary Reverend Gary Abernathy, who lifted up my spirit with timely words of encouragement. Two years later, the court ruled in favor of the church, despite that we had not been given the legal documents to secure or grant our stay there. And the court further ordered the local authority to speedily formalize our stay. And on the 12th of June, 2012, we received our official letter. Sixteen times we were summoned by the Nandola City Council to go and to answer different charges leveled against us, but the Lord saw us through them all. And then on June 27th of 2012, we started our building project. But a year later, when the building was at window level and steel pillars already raised or mounted, another team masterminded by one of the churches around us, now they're going to get attacked by the other churches, took us to court again, claiming that half of our building had encroached upon their land. And they demanded the immediate demolition of our building. But the matter was resolved within eight months and we resumed our work. Six months later, a team of engineers and unscrupulous city council workers with evil schemes persisted in coming out to our plot claiming that they had been sent by the local authority to rezone our plot. The move that was in fact against the court ruling. This time around we received eight call outs from various council departments to go and clarify the matter and in the process we got eight demolition notices. The fourth and no, the eighth and final one was signed by the town clerk watch this, whose order could not be stopped or revoked by either the town mayor, district commissioner, or the provincial minister. Doesn't that sound like a story out of the Bible? Nobody can revoke this order. We had seven days to clear everything out on our own, or the bulldozer is going to come do its work after the expiration of seven days. At this juncture, ladies and gentlemen, we sought the indulgence of the high court into the matter as we now drag the Ndola City Council to court and through a court injunction we restrained them from replanting our church plot and a year later the court secured our stay here and warned the council of stern action the city council if they ever again went against a court ruling over our land <laughs> a dumping site the city dump. Nobody cares about it. You go to put a church on it. And you raise up all kinds of spirits. But the high court, oh, hallelujah, said, don't ever mess with them church people again. <laughs> Henceforth, he said, we have peace at this place. We are unmovable and unshakable. Distinguished guests, ladies and gentlemen, the church has undergone great trials persecution and harassment but despite all that we have faced we remain united and focused and determined more than ever before we have not lost our direction our enthusiasm our zeal or our tenacity to work for the Lord we thank God that all of these excruciating plans and all of the pain of the past has catapulted us to where we are today God said, I'll make something beautiful out of the ashes of all of your trials. Woo, hallelujah. He goes on to thank First Pentecostal Church in Palm Bay 
Sister Basin, Reverend David Myers, and now I just heard this morning they're planning on building a school next door to church. You say why? Because God can make something beautiful out of all of the ashes. They shall build the old waste that shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. You thought the stuff you went through was just life. God was giving you some ashes that he could make beautiful if you'll just put them on the altar. There are three things that make ashes beautiful. The first is that it's a testimony to the greatness of God. How can you explain a little church taking on the city council of a large city in the copper region of Zambia? How do you explain that to where the high court of the land warns the city council, don't mess with these people anymore? <laughs> you tell me that God is not working on behalf of his people. And in the midst of all of that, in a city we've never been, and in a people we've never met, God puts it on the heart of this church to help them. And he said to me, I believe if we'd never gone through this, the Lord never put that on your heart. And we would never had a building there. But because the church working together from across oceans. My. It's a testimony to the greatness of God. Here's the second thing that makes ashes beautiful. It is hope for a human soul that anything can be transformed in the hand of God. I don't care if you're a drug addict living under the Melbourne Bridge. He can transform anything in the hand of a mighty God. I don't care if you're a multi-millionaire and you've had 12 wives and you own an airplane. God can make something beautiful out of any situation. You've not gone too far, but that God can save you and make something beautiful out of the ashes. You may be facing divorce. You may have a child that's strung out on drugs. I've come to tell you, there's beauty that's going to come from those ashes. Finally, the beauty of the ashes is simply this. The blessings of tomorrow are fueled by the bruises of yesterday. The blessings of tomorrow are fueled by the bruises of yesterday. Not in spite of the bruises of yesterday, but literally fueled by the bruises of yesterday. You don't have to just endure your past. You don't have to just cope with your past. God wants to turn your past into something beautiful if you'll put it on the altar. If you'll give it over to him. The reason that the ashes were valuable to God. The reason they were considered holy, the reason he had them wrap them up and take them with him, all of it was because it came from the altar. And the altar is where the transformation process took place. There's something beautiful about even the remnants of a transformation process. That God says, we're not going to discard it. So ladies and gentlemen, if you'll put your past on the altar, 
It'll become holy to God. It will become an instrument of praise. And you may come to a Pentecostal service and not understand why people shout in church. It may not be beautiful to you. But that's because you don't know the ashes that it came from. Good God Almighty. You see Brother Reyes running the aisles and you think, that crazy guy from Puerto Rico, he must have lost his mind or something. But you don't know the ashes that his praise comes from. You see people stand up and shout and say, glory be to God. And you think, they need to learn how to be a little more distinguished. You don't know the ashes that their praise has come from. Somebody claps their hands. Somebody dances before the Lord. Somebody shouts unto God with the voice of triumph. It may offend you, but it's beautiful to God. It's ashes from the altar of sacrifice. It's holy to God. It's beautiful to God. You can remain standing. So you may not understand the worship of the First Pentecostal Church in Indola, Zambia. You may come to that service and think they're all crazy because of the way they worship God. Turn it up loud. Turn it on strong. song says I'm trading my sorrows I'm trading my shame and I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord I'm not running from it any longer I'm just going to lay it down on the altar and I'm going to let the fire of God's spirit I'm going to let it burn it and transform it and give me beauty There was nothing but pain. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my pain. And I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I told Sister Baisden. The ashes of the pain of her losing her spouse has become beautiful 
because there's a church in Nindola where people are worshiping God. I told Sister Mossa this morning, the pain of losing Joe and the ashes of that pain is beautiful because there's a medical clinic in Haiti because of that. I don't know what you may be going through today, but I've come to tell you that there's a God that's going to make something beautiful out of those ashes. What do you want God to do? Why don't you bring it right now to this altar? What do you want God to do? What is it that you need that only God can do? You got to come on and bring it to the Lord. You got to come on and put it down right now on this altar. You've tried to finagle it on your own. You've tried to deal with it. You've tried to just be strong. This is not the time to be strong. This is a time to bring your sacrifice of praise and put it on this altar right now. Oh, that's beautiful. People coming from all over the building. Make your way down to this altar right now. I want you to put it on this altar and the fire of heaven, the fire of Pentecost is going to come down and it's going to consume your sacrifice and what's going to be left is ashes that are holy unto God. Come on, would you lift your voice right now? It may be a family situation. It may be a sickness in your body. Come on. Let God make something beautiful out of it. That's it, that's it, that's it. I'm putting it all on the altar today. I'm trading my Right here's my good friend Nora. Her and her husband, Fady, are from Egypt. And every Monday night we meet for a Bible study. Her family's strong Islamic family. But her boyfriend in Egypt started witnessing to her about Jesus Christ. And she started feeling the power of God. And her family found out about it. And her dad locked her in the house for six months. No outside contact with anyone else. Took all of her electronic gadgets away. And the imam from the Islamic mosque would come and would teach her every day to try to get her back on track. But ladies and gentlemen, what God does, nobody can reverse it. Through six months, God came to her room and ministered. God came to her and said, I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. 
God brought them together. God brought them to America. And now her mother says, I want to know more about your faith. God brings beauty to the ashes. Come on, why don't you clap your hands and give God some glory. but I feel an unction of the Holy Ghost in this house. And I need you to help me this morning. If it's appropriate, whoever you're standing next to, I want you to turn right now, and I want us to pray one for another. I want you, if it's appropriate, to put your hand on their head. I want you to put your arm around their back. Whatever you can do, make contact. And I want us to pray the prayer of faith right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's hold off for just a second. I don't want there to be any noise except the prayers and the praises of God's people. My God, there's a transformation happening right now. Yes, Lord! 